Hello and welcome to Tape Notes, the podcast that looks behind the scenes at the magic of recording and producing music. Every episode we'll be reuniting an artist and producer and talking through some of the highlights from their collaboration in the studio. So join us as we lift the lid on the creative process and the inner workings of music production to see what lies beneath. Hello, I'm John Kennedy, and joining me for this episode of Tape Notes is Joseph Mount from Metronomy to talk about how he recorded and produced their second album, Nights Out. Joe hails from Totnes in Devon, and his musical endeavours began in school days, drumming in various bands and teaching kids around the area. Aged 16, he bought an old Mac G3 off his father and started to experiment with writing his own music, and so Metronomy was born. In 2002, Joe moved to Brighton to study music and at the same time began to play as a DJ. It was at one of these gigs that encouragement from a stranger got Joe thinking about releasing some of his own music, which in 2006 led to the release of the first Metronomy album, Pip Payne, Pay the £5,000 You Owe. After a one-off solo gig, Joe decided he needed a live band and turned to the services of his trusted companions, cousin Oscar Cash and school friend Gabriel Stebbing. In 2008, the second album, Nights Out, was released. It captured the buzz around the band and became an underground classic. Metronomy have since released three albums, The English Riviera, Love Letters and Summer 08. And alongside this, Joe has worked as a producer and writer with the likes of Robin and Sophie Ellis-Bexter. Today, I'm here at Iguana Studios with Joe to celebrate the 10-year anniversary of Nights Out. And what better way to start that conversation than by hearing something from the record. It is on the motorway. It is Metronomy from the Nights Out album, and Joe Mount is here. Uh, great to hear these songs again. This is ten years down the line. It is, isn't it? Hi, it's um, I yeah, it's and and especially getting getting ready for this involved kind of getting into this this hard drive you see here, which this is, is an orange hard drive uh, yeah. with tape around it holding it together. Yes, and it, <laughs> like. And it's full of it's full of basically the the my computer from that period, and yeah, so hearing that and and then kind of delving through little things is very uh, it's fun, you know, and it's nice to feel proud of it. Well, understandably so. I think the music sounds fantastic, and you can really hear um, going through all of the albums this this sound that is you mm. um, that connects it all together. No matter which way you turn, somehow uh, your musical vision um, is is maintained <laughs> yeah. throughout the whole course of it. Um, and Nights Out's an interesting one because obviously a pivotal album in the terms of the trajectory of Metronomy, um, but a pivotal album in terms of your life as well. Um, because I think it's a response to a, a whole new chapter in, in your life as somebody who grew up in Devon, went to Brighton, then moved to the big city. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, the interesting thing that I've found now after this period of time is that every record you make ends up being pivotal because it's because of the kind of time it takes to prepare it and the time that it takes to kind of promote it and all the kind of... So, you, like, 
the things that can happen in the in the like four year entire cycle or three or four year cycle like ends up being incredibly significant and i think probably with with nights out what made that record a more pivotal uh was because it was the first time i'd experienced that kind of that whole build up the whole like proper release uh with a record label and then the touring and and everything that kind of goes with it and and so yeah it was a really i, I guess when i was making it i felt like i was trying to make something <laughs> pivot that <laughs> would pivot me you know i was trying to, i was i was i was fully aware of the potential importance of it and and i mean that sounds quite kind of grandiose and in fact it, it's not like it was a, a major <laughs> of major importance but i definitely went into making it with that kind of thought with like this is the record that's gonna kind of like you know i think i said in in some interviews recently like i thought there were number one singles on this album <laughs> you know like i think I, that's how i thought about it and so so yeah it's it, i think if you listen to it there's something quite funny about listening to it and imagining the fact that the person making it thought that this record was going to be like a huge <laughs> album but it is a huge album I mean, no, 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 and these is. are international number but ones I, as far yeah, as I well, yeah yeah i mean i don't want to sound like i mean like you know what i mean though? like i think that this was like this was me making what I thought was like a very kind of commercial big record um, uh, for the first time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. So, I mean, at this point, you'd put out one album, Pit Pain. Yeah. Pay the £5,000 you owe. Mm-hmm. Um, and that had been done completely on your own. But by the time Nights Out came out, Metronomy was established as a live band. Yeah. I mean, it's... <laughs> that's the... The thing which is always interesting about the first albums of someone's career is that uh, the time that it takes to make them and the time you have to make them is so much bigger than any other record you're going to make. Mm. Um, so it all sort of, it's a little blurry as to when certain tracks were started and finished and that kind of thing. But but definitely when, like when Nights Out was released, we'd already started doing shows and and were be kind of were of interest to people, I think. Um, so yeah, the the first album had been released in a very kind of like DIY way, mm-hmm. um, and had got us a booking agent and that kind of stuff. So yeah, we were touring, and and I think I was aware that I could kind of take a, advantage of yeah, 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 or make the most that. of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess that's the nicer way of putting it. Yeah, <laughs> but I, I guess the reason I, I mention that is because the perception of Metronomy at the time was that it was this three-piece mm. band um, with lights attached to your chest. Was it this? Had no, all, it was the uh, perception. That's what it was. <laughs> and, and so, if you went to see you play, you know, you had this great kind of almost dance routine thing worked out, and you'd switch the lights off and on, mm. and you know, it went really well with the music. Um, but the essence really was you, Joe. You know, mm. that, that you were making this music on your own, wherever it may be. Yeah. And and the, the band were kind of your mates on stage having some fun. Yeah. Um, and that, I mean, it's still the case, isn't it, really? It's it's you. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's the... I, I remember feeling like I had to explain what the relationship was <laughs> um, to people. But in fact, it's, it's the same as with any band really like you know with every every group you watch performing there will be like one 
songwriter probably like maybe two and there's always like someone kind of steering the ship and and to varying degrees that is always the the case so yeah that that I've always kind of written and, and produced the music and and in the first case when so when we started touring I did like one or two gigs on my own it was very awkward um so I got Oscar and Gabriel to kind of help me feel better <laughs> um and th- and so that was how the the band side of it started uh, and of course like live music and, and a band are the is the best kind of um you know it's the most instant way that people are ever going to really get into a, a group so for a lot of people that was what they first saw of metronomy and that's what they assumed was yeah like three people doing it all together um but yeah since the initial anxiety of explaining how it all works i think it's quite obvious that that's how it is and especially now with with oscar and anna and benger and now michael who plays with us it's kind of like if you care who writes and records the music then you do but if you don't then you just enjoy it you know like it doesn't i don't think it makes too much of a difference yeah yeah definitely um but it's just the idea that you know the perception of the time because i think the live shows really helped um, yeah. alert people to this music and to the ideas that you yeah. create in in the music well yeah i mean the other thing i think that actually that's probably quite important to the time that this record that nights out was released was that so yeah pit pain the first album had been released in this in a in a very kind of diy way and and one of the main ways I was being kind of promoted or getting any sort of coverage was through doing loads of remixes. And at, and at that point I was doing so lots of remixes to survive and to like get some publicity, really. Mm. So I think a lot of people thought that I was a remixer that was starting to make uh, my own music. And then a lot of people saw the band with the funny lights and thought that it was that. And, you know, like... I suppose in a way the album was an opportunity to sort of to like clarify for the first time like what it was uh what like what I was yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what we was <laughs> but we're hopefully going to get uh, a chance to get behind that in a way yes today um mm. by listening to how these songs developed and how you created them um am I right in thinking that nights out has a concept yeah. as a whole. <laughs> the uh, the half asked concept, I think, was the was the press release, <laughs> as it said. <laughs> um so I was in Brighton and and I'd finished university and and I'd kind of made this decision that having spent the money to go to university that I was like, I'm a music producer now and and I you know, went to the job center and signed on and they were like, so what do you do? I was like, I'm a music producer. I love that. <laughs> yeah. And they were like, okay, well, I'm not, like, I'm not sure we'll get many jobs <laughs> like through. Like, would you be interested in music retail? And I was like, no, no, I'm a music producer kind of thing. Um, so I kind of decided like that was what I was doing. And, and so I was doing bits and bobs. Like there were, I had a friend who was like an animator and I was making music for some of her videos um and then started doing the remixes and anyway everything kind of built and built and built and then as is often the case after university everyone's like let's go to london and and make our fortune um and you know like you you move up and and that's obviously a very big kind of 
transitional period like you're you're taking things like friends and or like a you know a girlfriend from university and then you're kind of starting afresh in a city and meeting new people again um and and i think at the time i definitely thought of london as somewhere like yeah you come here and you it's like the music industry you network and you go out to gigs <laughs> and and so like i just went out all the time really <laughs> and uh and it was a really a kind of very fun thing to do and a fun time to to be in in london or like east london i guess or like you know, further east than what east london was yeah yeah uh and and yeah they spent a lot of time going out and then of course kind of that coupled with personal life kind of things ended up meaning that there was this experience of kind of going out and having like sometimes not a very good time <laughs> now i thought that's a great idea for an album <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> excellent. Um, and it is. You know. it, well, yeah, I mean, it's quite. I, I, I it's curious because at the moment I'm trying to finish like the sixth Metronomy album and trying to get into a feeling and trying to tap into like a direction that feels, you know, relevant to like me, aged thirty six or whatever. And and yeah, and the, and the funny thing about nights out and making it in. 2008 that it was an entirely like the concept was very genuine you know like I was it seems so simple but uh but yeah it was like a, something I really could get behind yeah <laughs> yeah on a kind of conceptual level yeah well a, a true reflection of what was happening or had yeah, been happening in your yeah. life and, and 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 I feel like you know it's interesting now making music and, and feeling like how doing things in that way was when you're younger you have this kind of ability or well, you have a kind of license to to indulge yourself in these in kind of trivial things and you don't you know you don't realize that they're trivial until you're older um and it's just quite nice how you can just make something and feel so like feel it so emotionally um and then after a few years be like oh that's quite that's quite nice isn't it really you know it's quite like sincere and uh and fun yeah, that's great. Um, in terms of the songs we're going to listen to today and in terms of the album, were all these songs then written once you'd made that transition up to London from Brighton? Or had you had a few ideas before that you brought with you? And where should we start? No, I think probably, I mean, so the big difference between Nights Out and Pit Pain is that I started singing, like, on the music and... The first song that I did for Nights Out would have been on dance floors, I think. And that was the first song that I ever kind of sang on or tried to write properly. And I remember feeling a bit, well, feeling very tentative playing it to people. Mm. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was, so that would have been the first track that showed the, like, potentially the way the album could go. And, and, <laughs> but, I mean, this is another a kind of subsection of this whole thing, is that my organisation, especially with my computer files, is appalling. And there was a period around the time of making Nights Out that I was playing Call of Duty, um, and I bought it and put it on my laptop, and I deleted a lot of stuff, because it was quite a big game. <laughs> right, so you deleted loads of things you'd been working on. Quite a on. lot of original files, yeah. <laughs> Brilliant, to make way for Call of Duty. So, yeah, but it is, I mean, but... 
that Call of Duty was incredible. <laughs> uh, so I don't have that original. <laughs> yeah. But, but I do have I, I so yeah, that was I mean that the, the, the singing would have been the the biggest change for me making music and the, and and I think because I'd been doing a lot of remixes, I was really like locked into working with vocals, so it made it quite difficult to do anything else. But the the I suppose the the shape of the album kind of really started coming together when I tried to relax and forget about um Pit Pain and the yeah. the first record. So yeah, I don't know. Maybe, maybe we should just hear a blast of a couple of these. So I on, think on dance floors is I think just quite have a blast um, of that. Yeah. And this, so this is on dance floors. This is, this on is dance metronomy floors. and and the birth of the new metronomy <laughs> in in effect with you singing. Yeah. I had a very, uh, when I was doing the Robin record, after a day in the studio, I went to like a bar and I was like sat down. This woman came and sat next to me and started talking to me. I wasn't up for it at all, but she started talking. Um, anyway, in the end, I told her like about metronomy and she's like, oh, you're on Spotify. So I was like, yes, yes, yes. And I showed her and then she started listening to it like next to me. And then she just said, she's like, the intros are too long. <laughs> <laughs> and ever since that every time I listen to it the whole time I'm just like this intro is too long yeah. <laughs> but the intros are part of it you see well, I know, they're, I know, they're part I know. of the appeal well I think that's yeah I mean that was like maybe the, the kind of hangover from the more instrumental stuff was like listening to these loops and finding it satisfying like adding one thing at a time and then leaving <laughs> but yeah like I, I suppose after a while you're like oh, come on Hearing. It was interesting listening to on dance floors there, just um, because we'd been talking about this is the first vocal that you'd attempted for a song, yeah. um, and the vocal doesn't come in for about a minute oh, at yeah. least. <laughs> it's like and, <laughs> me <laughs> pacing around the room. <laughs> so, uh, talking about the vocals. So, if you'd been somebody who was used to writing these instrumentals, making these instrumentals, mm. and I guess in a way that was quite comfortable because you can maybe put your instrument straight into the computer and record it that way. Whereas, obviously, vocals present a, a challenge. You can mm. do that. Um, just attach a microphone or use the microphone on on the computer itself. Um, but did you think, oh, well, if I'm going to sing, how am I going to record myself? I, uh, I d so, I mean, before I, before I did a song like that, I was already, like, trying things. And for a long time, I was I was writing music and imagining that I would like do a project with someone else like get another singer uh, or like and specifically a female vocalist so there are tons of sketches or ideas on my computer of me kind of singing with this kind of, <laughs> kind of pretending to be a woman yeah <laughs> and uh so i'd i had already started a bit and i think that the thing that presented itself 
as like a problem when I when I began actually you know recording my own voice was deciding like what my voice was going to be and I and I think I didn't really realize that that was actually something which which I think people do do you know what I mean if you hear if you hear the voice of I don't know like the voice of Amy Winehouse and her speaking voice like they are not necessarily you know you wouldn't necessarily be able to match the two together um and other you know I think lots of vocalists you know you decide how you're going to sound and I think for me because it was this new thing and and it was writing lyrics and and it's like a whole load of new things I was trying to decide how I should sound and, and I thought the best thing would just be to sound like very <laughs> just kind of deadpan or sound like me really yeah um and I thought that if I didn't like if I didn't sing too much, then no one could really accuse me of not singing very well. <laughs> so like, yeah, I just, that was the thing. And, and and I think I would have tried recording like this, like I'm sat now just with a, well, not not a laptop, but a computer and, and a microphone just like looking and, and recording and listening and and getting to a point where I could listen to my voice without finding it horrible or kind of aspirational. <laughs> And and listening to it now is a really strange thing because it sounds so like, just so flat. <laughs> but I mean, you know, I don't know, like. Well, I suppose compared to what I feel like I I could do now, but it but it's you know it's the the thing which I think is quite curious about my records is that if you listen to them, you'll hear this like the progression or maybe not a progression i don't know but depending how you feel about the, the singing yeah but certainly everything all the vocals on this record sound very f afraid <laughs> <laughs> right that's interesting because i mean that's your perception of them but i don't think the listener yeah. would think that necessarily because they, they're not coming at it with no, with any true. of the, yeah, yeah. the, the emotional yeah. baggage that you you've brought to it yeah so in terms of i mean this sounds really geeky but i'm intrigued to in terms of the kind of mic you would have used at yeah. this stage, you know, did you go out and buy a mic that you would be singing into, or did you just use the mic that you might have been using to pick up yeah. something from an amp? Or I think probably that I would have had like a really. I think I had it until not so long ago, and it was just this like a like an audio technica kind of like thirty pound job. Yeah. <laughs> um. So I think I did buy like a mic that you could use for singing, like a kind of condenser mic. I think that's what you use for singing. Right. Um, I think I did get something because I thought like, well, actually, that's the other the other story of Nights Out is uh, is the sound card. I bought a sound card to make it. Right. So this was a major step forward. <laughs> were, yeah, exactly. These, these so are think, big investments. There was an outlay. There was, yeah, quite a large outlay for this record, yeah. <laughs> which would have included a, a kind of £30 mic. So yeah, I think, and I think I would have bought a pop shield, and you know, right. I kind of probably took it quite seriously. Yeah, no, that's good. And and also, um, would you have had all the music ready and then do a vocal on top, or would you be singing at various different stages of the development of the song? Yeah, so I mean, that's something which I've the the very enjoyable thing about kind of delving back into the the files I didn't delete uh, of, the, of the fact that you can. That I I have not changed how I do like how I make music like it, I'm as disorganized as I was then, <laughs> and everything is 
yeah, is recorded in bits. I mean, I think the only stuff that I've done where I've really tried to sit down and write a song before I recorded it was on Love Letters. And I did that as a kind of a conscious thing to try and learn how to do it better. But I would normally start with, um, I'm trying to think, with, with On Dance Floors, I think it was probably the... It was probably the chorus that I would have started with and had this kind of idea to go along with that, the funny guitar sound. Um, so even now, if you listen to metronomy songs that I've just done and finished on my own, like the levels of and the sound of the vocals are often quite different because they're recorded <laughs> in different stages and I never remember the settings. That right. Kind of stuff. That's interesting. So, what could be perceived it's as, or is it? No, no, it or, is interesting because it, what could be perceived as as different ways of colouring the sound. Yeah, oh, that, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Could is just happen chance, and you could have not been fastidious in, yeah. in your approach. Um, but more interested in the creative moment. Yeah, I, I would like to think. Um, so you don't worry about things like that. You just kind of get on with it. Well, yeah, and in a way, you know. So I, th- I think that's how I did things instinctively and and then with every record try to try to take it more seriously and try to or or at least thought like okay now you should now you should do it a bit more professionally um and then the i suppose the irony is is that you realize that that's not well for one that's not how professionals do it like they do it in in a in a kind of haphazard way as mm. well um and secondly that you do lose this a uh, certain magic of sorts by by overdoing things i suppose yeah and and when you're recording the vocal are you there waving your arms in the air or are you <laughs> um playing an instrument at the same time or i i think i i'm i would have been very i really would have been like this I think just sitting down right <laughs> like so, sitting yeah, down that no, seems fair enough and i mean occasionally i would stand up and then I think in the end I would feel like that that wasn't better than the signal. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, but it, it, it still happens now. If I kind of think to myself, this is going to be the vocal take now, and then you kind of stand up and you try and do it professionally, it just often sounds, to my ears, sounds like like I've tried too hard. Yeah, I think. And loses the potential emotional impact or the, the feeling or the... Yeah, I mean, I th- yeah. I mean, I think there's, again, it's like that thing of when you choose, when you're deciding how you're going to sing and like how you're going to represent yourself with your voice. Uh, the way that I decided to, at the beginning, to like, to represent myself in that way was at least very honest. <laughs> you know, it wasn't, it wasn't me pretending I had some like acrobatic voice. And that. So yeah, so I think that my way of recording was was equally unacrobatic. <laughs> Let's have a, a listen then to how this whole process works. Then, if yeah. we if we're able to, if you have some yeah, yeah, files course, that I you do. still no, I do. I'm, I'm um, making myself sound more. <laughs> the Call of Duty, you know, that's a, it's a, an important thing. The, no. the first Call of Duty was historically quite accurate. It was about the <laughs> Normandy. The, well, the, the D-Day landing. So I did learn quite a lot at the same time. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. So what I think I'm going to do is open up Heartbreaker because it's a great tune and I have files. So what I do every... Well, it doesn't happen so much now, but what I used to do with, with my work on albums, because often the lifespan of my laptop would 
would kind of run the course of an album and then it would get full up and start kind of doing weird stuff. And I'd basically like shut it and put it away. Right. <laughs> um, anyway, so yeah, the, the, the really fun thing about this technique of shutting a laptop when you finished a record is that on it has got, it has all of like, like all of the, all of my kind of crappy phone, camera phone pictures, all of the, what, like whatever was going on in my life at that point. Um, and it's, yeah, there's something very, very like, you know, you, you kind of reconnect with it in a, in a kind of weirdly real way. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I think it should be working. There you go. And the reason it took me such a long time to find it is because it's, of course, not called Heartbreaker. <laughs> <laughs> what have you called it then? So it's, it was called Slap Bass. <laughs> that was the original, the original logic. And so did file. it begin with this slap bass then? Yeah. And that's how I still would kind of start most songs is kind of getting a, a little idea together. So I think I would have borrowed a bass guitar and done this. So yeah, that's uh and that drum that you chucked in <laughs> is that at the same time or is that something you're kind of So this I think uh, doing afterwards. The drums for this song, let me just see what we've got here, what we're playing with. There you go. It's a little snare drum from I think I might have stolen that from like a Human League record. There you go. Um, but you can kind of, I can, if I turn it around and you can see how, how it's just blocks, blocks of colour, as I'm sure you're very familiar with. Right, so they, these are all the little sections of the song, but it all started with that slap bass. It all started with the slap bass, and I, and I made this small, this loop of it. And one of the the ways of working, which I did a lot of on, on Pit Pain, was basically would, would be finding these little loops and then adding like different things underneath the little chords or, or other bass lines. So I think... So have we just heard... That's a guitar, doubling right. it up. Okay, so this is like the other bass line. Right, so we end up with this nice contrast between well, yeah, that, two that, bass tracks. Two bass tracks. Mm. <laughs> and I mean, that, that, that for me is normally like enough to give me a little feel of, of I don't know, of how to make a song, really. Yeah. Um, and then once you've established that, would you then be thinking in terms of, well, you've got a kind of rhythm going on here, would you be thinking about um, what kind of drum pattern you might want or yeah and then, but then, I mean like the, I think my whole the way that I seem to have, have gone with every record is to make things simpler and simpler and simpler or easier and easier uh, and so like with lots of songs on Nights Out the, the like the drum tracks are just really like oh there's a squeaking door in this as well yeah which is, is that what, is that an actual door squeaking? That's an actual door, right? And is that in where you were living or at that point? This is uh, yeah, it's true. So this is this is uh, <laughs> that's great. This is the bedsit, the bedsit I lived in for a year, right? 
Which was in East London, was it then? No, no. this is in Brighton. Oh, this. so you're still in Brighton mm. at this point? Yeah, it's quite nice just um, having this. So that you just thought one day, that sounds great, what I'm going to record that. <laughs> so this is, so you know in like old dance records where you've got like a woo, yeah, yeah. woo, yeah, woo, yeah. And I think probably one day I was leaving the bed sit and I was like, oh, that sounds a bit like a dance record. <laughs> and recorded it. I wonder if there's a few tries because quite often with these you can you can extend the audio file. I had a nice um I had a neighbour called Craig in, in the bedsit and he once said to me that he was going to France on a booze cruise before Christmas. He's like, Do you want anything? I'll pick you up some stuff. So I was like, Oh yeah, yeah, okay. All right, Craig. He's like, Oh, but I need the money up front. I was like, oh, okay. And I gave him seventy quid and he never saw him again. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. There you go. That's the full audio file of the door. And I believe you can hear me breathing. <laughs> and that's, yeah, that's about as interesting as it gets. I like it. It Thanks. sounds great. And, and see, that shows, that reveals the attention to detail. Yeah, I mean... But also your love of just using what's around you. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think that's another thing that's that's quite important with the way that I make music, or the, is that the whole thing is like I work best when I'm having a nice time doing it, and so yeah, there's so much stuff you can that would go on in a track, which is you know like a bit inconsequential when it comes to the actual like finished song but you know like it's it's kind of it gets to the point where it's impossible to know what what bits of the track have this kind of butterfly effect that like make it a nice song in the end and 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 so yeah the squeaking door could be the reason that heartbreak is a great song <laughs> <laughs> so so far we've got two bass tracks yeah. um you've got a guitar doubling up We've got a door squeak, yeah, and a drum, a drum, yeah, which you think is possibly Nick from the Human League. Well, I did used to do a bit of sampling. I mean, in those days, there was, you know, necessity. It was necessity. You would breeds invention. Yeah. Oh, so this okay, it's interesting. <laughs> Very interesting. <laughs> this no, it's just a piano, which which actually now I remember, it it would be the piano that my parents at their house which my dad not so long ago chopped up with an axe and took to the tip wow <laughs> um, how do you learned on that piano uh, sorry did you learn piano no well, I did, you know, actually I did I had a few lessons when I was at secondary school but again with the whole with me and, and making music a lot of it is about just like having fun and learning and so most of the stuff that I can can do is just by sitting and working it out and taking time to to do that and and the great thing about being a kind of computer musician is that you're not wasting other people's time when you're learning how yeah, to do yeah. something so within it's like I was saying to you about when you open these old computers and you get you, you see, you know, all the kind of old camera phone photos and blah, blah, blah. 
in the same way with these old songs and the the haphazard nature that I've made a lot of them, is that each of the each of these kind of bits are attached to places as well as like like the the squeaking doors from the bed set. This piano is from my mum and dad's, which I think I must have done like a Chris a Christmas. Like I would have gone back there and done a bit of piano recording at Christmas because that was the only time I went back. But then because you're doing it on this laptop, you know, you're kind of taking the whole thing around around with you. And and yeah, it's kind of, I think it's quite a, it's something which makes this record very like vivid, I think, for me. And, and like another track that I chose to talk about, the, the outro is like a similarly physical kind of thing. Well, I'll show you in a bit. Yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah, what yeah, else is sounds, there in this? So we can hear how Heartbreaker's kind of developing now. Yeah. Um, when did you think about writing words for it or, or singing a song? Yeah, I, I think with this one, because in these days as well, um, you'd have the, the capacity of computers wasn't particularly brilliant. So I'd have to, I think I would have to then like do a, do a kind of the music, think about, start thinking about the, the vocals and then, and eventually the computer would find it too much to deal with, so I'd have to kind of open a new, start a new project for the vocals. Yeah. Um, which I hope is what I have here. Uh, and I think it was a song which I, you know, I at that point, at that period of time, lots of friends of mine were in relationships and always just complaining about it. <laughs> um and that gave you know, and I think that was pretty much the the idea for the song was was like this kind of constantly being um, offering advice to friends and kind of like not saying the thing which you want to say, which is like you should get out of it. Like, um, so it was quite an easy, I don't know, quite an easy idea. I think, yeah, and I think probably also it was something that I was uh, doing a lot of was like just you know, whinging about my own problems to other people. And in terms of the, the, at this point, um, would you write the words down and then sing them or would you just sing a, a tune and then put words to that tune? I think I I would, I'm a bit like, you know, Jay-Z. I don't normally commit things to paper. Mm. And, 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 <laughs> and there's something strange happens when I do that they, that the lyrics become worse and worse like if I, if I kind of if I think to myself okay I'm going to again I'm going to try and be a bit organised I'll write this down and then you end up reading it and thinking like oh this doesn't read particularly well like I'm going to change it so it does and then that kind of messes up the the feel of it and, and so I think often I don't write things down um, for, kind of because from experience, it normally makes it worse. Yeah, yeah. So, what I've got here is then all of the vocals, an a cappella. Um, and it seems to have some other bits and bobs, but I'll play it and I'll cringe, <laughs> basically. I heard she broke your heart again, so now you're gonna come and see me. We're back to the start again. When's she gonna set me free? What I did in order to try and make myself feel all right about my voice was just layering and layering and layering and layering. And so here, like, in the chorus... 
I hope she broke your heart again. There's loads of me. So, and would they all be the same vocal tape, just doubled and doubled? Well, or, I redone and redone. You, re- yeah, you yeah. would redo the lines, yeah, right? Okay. Layering and layering. I heard she broke your heart again. I heard she And then you chucked in the clapping too. Yeah. Will that girl's a heart? And that would have been done on a separate track. Yeah, that clapping. I mean, I think in the world of recording, recording claps is a is an art form which I certainly was not a master of. Um, I used to have quite bad asthma when I was young, and it just meant that I'd always breathe really heavily. <laughs> and on all of these tracks, you can probably hear me breathing, <laughs> even on the clapping. Well, it's ty- quite tiring clapping, isn't it? Yeah, everything is tiring <laughs> for an asthmatic. <laughs> can you hear me breathing? No. Can hear something. Well, you can hear that I've edited it's all chopped up. Yeah. Oh, I see. Yeah, you yeah. can hear the track itself. And having heard all those elements, maybe we'll have the a blast of, oh, yeah, of the, play whole the whole thing. Oh yeah, the whole song. It was a breathing, heavy breathing. It's great hearing the whole thing. It's great hearing heard... the door again, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, <laughs> because now I'm I'm really aware of all these different elements. about the drums on Heartbreaker I mean mm. having done a little sample of Human League then to get the other drums did you um, just use more beats that you could find on on your laptop or I mean they were I used to be quite like I don't know what you'd call it anal about about what what was like okay to do and I think my opinion was like oh you have to like sample stuff yourself so all of the drums would have either been samples from like records or or like me sampling me playing the drums that kind of thing yeah um and for a long time yeah i was a bit i was like i was very anti-software and that kind of stuff but um but yeah the all of the drums on nights out are samples from various places and and i think the nicer ones are probably like from i had a drum or two which i'd kind of like definitely with um with a thing for me, like the snare drums on a, on a thing for me, a snare drums that I like played myself, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. You may have heard us talk about Tape It before, and if you haven't, then let me fill you in, as they are the sponsor of today's episode with a fantastic offer for you. Tape It is an iPhone recording app made by musicians for musicians. Many of our guests on Tape Notes, music industry friends and listeners rely on voice notes to record their early ideas. People like the Lumineers, Ezra Collective and Fred again have all shared recordings with us made on voice notes. But what you wouldn't have heard are the long pauses where they're searching for those recordings. We wouldn't want to put you through that. 
As you can understand, organizing and finding the right notes, let alone a specific part, can be a nightmare. Tape-It solves all of that voice memo chaos with intuitive labeling features, including automatic instrument detection, markers, and collaborative mixtapes, meaning you can share band practices, organize set lists, and brainstorm ideas with co-writers and band members. Plus, you can record straight from your lock screen and attach text and photo notes to each recording. One of our favorite features within Tape-It Pro is that you can record in stereo using two microphones along with gentler dynamic compression to give a much more natural sound than any of the usual apps. It's a huge upgrade to the microphone and all-round audio quality. It really helps support the podcast whenever you engage with our sponsors. So if Tape-It sounds like an app you'd use, then do us a favor. Pause the episode, head to the link in a recent episode show notes, or visit tape.it forward slash tape notes and give tape it a go. That's tape.it forward slash tape notes. You can download for free or use the promo code tape notes for 50% off tape it pro. Thank you. And now on with the show. Did you do it? Honestly, Tape It is fantastic. All of the Tape Notes team members are complete converts. And excitingly, some of our guests have started to use it as well. So I really would recommend checking it out. And is a thing for me the next song we're going to well, listen to? Well, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what, in terms of timing, I don't know what, there's two other tracks. There's Night's Outro and A Thing For Me. And there's a couple of slightly earlier versions of A Thing For Me. So let's hear how A Thing For Me turned out on the finished product, as it were. Yeah, okay. I told you how long we got All the time in the world I've got a thing for you You've got a thing for me I've got my mom and You've got my heart So it's interesting hearing this one because do you think by this stage you'd grown in confidence about your vocals? I mean, to start the song with the vocal is a different approach. Yeah, I mean, so a thing for me is one of the last songs that was done for the record and kind of at the because the label wanted a more single, <laughs> and and so I think I was yeah and like trying to make something quite direct. Mm. Um, and being a bit like, oh, like there you go. <laughs> um, but it's also like, you know, like the, yeah, it starts with the vocal, but it's like a really kind of affected version of my voice. I've got no problem with, with that. You know what I mean? Like there's no kind of embarrassment of having that kind yeah. of a very treated vocal. Um, you know, and I, and I guess like the, like that kind of voice, like that sound is on a few metronomy records and it's like a, not a character because that sounds a bit pretentious, but it is like a, a different thing that I have done a few times with my voice, which I feel like you can get away with it having a bit more of an attitude yeah, <laughs> than, yeah. than like my voice. Um, so yeah, that like, oh, that, that character is very confident. <laughs> <laughs> but it's great because it, it, it creates this uh, nice counterpoint to 
yeah your other vocals so yeah 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 no it's true and and i think the the song i went to like chiswick car boot sale in west london in west london and bought this a keyboard like a casio cm 101 or cmz something like that anyway a new keyboard and, and still you know to this day it's a great like a great thing to get you to make a load of music is to have like a new toy to play with mm. so i got this keyboard and and pretty much all of the sounds like on a thing for me from this keyboard and it's got all these kind of funny little accordion so i just came back from the car boots <laughs> and just got into it um and I think that that kind of the high pitched voice was like, I oh, know it wasn't. So this is that this is like an early version, and this was just the bare bones of what I had. So is this the nearest we're going to get to you jamming with yourself <laughs> in a way today? So yeah. I'm just picturing you coming back. You've got the keyboard under your arm. You've been to the car boot sale, putting it down on the table, right? Yeah. Just seeing what it does. Pretty much. And kind of recording it. Yeah. Because it's like, hey, this is good. Yeah. <laughs> this is a great bit of kit, that keyboard, whatever it's called. So this is, yeah, okay, this is a, a very, like a demo. I guess it's the closest I like, get to demos. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, would you have had to record all those little bits separately? Or it's just like, you they're just blocks like yeah. each of them is like however many bars that is eight bar loops basically yeah. so I mean you can build quite quickly you create an eight bar loop start playing it play yeah. on top of it and carry on from yeah. there and then and then kind of hit a brick wall yep. and, then, like, <laughs> and then kind of come back to it a few days later I think there might be some vocal here I'm, I'm very like I'm very anxious about oh, yeah no, 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 I don't want to play that <laughs> Joe, like, please. I know it's just like some weird. <laughs> it's like a rap. That's all I'll play. I think it was like some weird concept about having a, I mean not a concept, but a weird song about having a girl who was a girlfriend who was really rich. <laughs> and a, this is an emergence of the chorus bit. about having money <laughs> <laughs> was that the dream at the time it's like hmm I was living the dream John <laughs> um, yeah and then I think like I, I, it's funny again because I was, as, as I was walking here chatting to the man over there about when you're making albums or, or writing songs you have these like well I do anyhow I have these big like peaks of feeling like everything's incredible and then troughs of just feeling like it's just nonsense like what you've just wasted <laughs> so much time like kind of i mean not not in a not in a kind of in a serious way but just like big crises crises of confidence about what you do um and so i think with a, a thing for me with that song you know i can kind of almost feel it now like listening to bits and thinking like oh this is really brilliant and then 
and then remember to think like, oh God, this is embarrassing. Like as a, you know what I mean? Yeah. That kind of thing. And, and, and so in a way it's a, when you get to the thing that's on the album, the kind of end result, it's been, it's already been like checked in this incredibly like dramatic way for it to ever get there. You know, it's like how they have robots, which like hit sofas, like to simulate <laughs> someone sitting on it like a yeah. million times. Like that's what happens with, with the songs, like you literally, you listen to them so many times that you've kind of gone through all these stages of like grief. <laughs> so, I mean, after the elation of yeah. this incredibly uh, creative and productive reaction to the purchase so the of this Casio yeah, yeah. keyboard, yeah. then it's like, oh, what am I like, going to do with it, that now? Because you're like, it sounds amazing. Yeah. I, however, <laughs> do not sound as good. So how did you unlock that? How did you take that further then and and in the end i mean in the end it's like it, I, I think with the thing for me the 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 chorus like the high-pitched voices i always really liked mm. and and i have this thing with songs and again it still exists to this day where you're like okay great i've got the chorus and then you're like, oh now i've got to do a verse <laughs> and <laughs> and it, and, it, and you get really kind of I don't know, like it, that. That's the bit which is is tricky. Um, but then I think again with the thing for me, it was slightly easier because I went to a club night and then I basically like kissed someone. <laughs> so that was like the best night of my life. I'm trying to think about the lyrics of a thing for me. I think it was like the whole thing. The whole experience was quite a like a, I had a really fun time. It was a very positive experience, like being in London having fun and kissing someone and so I kind of was like oh that's a great idea for a song <laughs> <laughs> about so, like because I think every you know there's there's a certain element to a lot of the the like the album or like the thought behind it which is maybe a little bit cynical or a bit like you know it's like, um whereas actually a thing for me is like it's supposed to be yeah like told you how long we've got all the time in the world yeah it's like this is great there's no rush that kind of thing um so in fact it was an easier maybe an easier thing to write the verses but still there was a period where it was about money <laughs> right <laughs> yeah yeah but it's interesting isn't it how you know you could say you know that good day when you bought the keyboard and the car boot sale <laughs> time goes on um meet the girl get excited yeah. another burst of of inspiration yeah and luckily you're capturing these things yeah and like i was saying before how when you with like making albums when you're a bit older and, and you realize that there was this very this kind of pure when it was like everything matched up like your kind of desire to like make music your kind of like experience of relationships your kind of idea about life like it all lined up to make this kind of very genuine package like the music you everything and um and that's something which which yeah you can only do for a for a kind of finite period of time and with this album and yeah like with this song like that was the only time i could have ever kind of really capitalized on that like on that feeling and actually i remember now that the um i texted the girl like the day after i kissed her and then never saw her again <laughs> like, I, like, I was too eager 
Yeah. I was like, hello, yeah, it's like, how we've got all the time in the world, but no, I'll still like text immediately right. the next day. Whatever rules <laughs> there are the about that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, oh really? no, you've got to yeah. wait three days. Yeah, or... it's true. Apparently that's where, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't know no one told about me. those things. But um, the great thing is that you're able to feed it into, yeah. into this song. Yeah. So the thing for me, obviously a series of different things collided yeah. and helped create that song in episodes yes um in contrast to that night's outro sounds like it's you on your own <laughs> just doing it well yeah and is that how it was yeah and exactly yeah exactly that is how it was and um it, all these things like all these little things that i learned about making nights out have kind of stuck with me in with my own records and 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 working with other people um that you do like that the idea of a of contrast is exactly what makes kind of albums good albums um and yeah the longer you focus on i don't know, like directness or like catchiness the more yeah the more you focus on that that kind of that becomes the the main component of an album and and that too much of one thing becomes very boring and and I think like I had this idea that 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 making albums you had to kind of that the the amount of time put in equals great album um and of course that's not necessarily the case and and yeah night's outro was like was something that I did with the laptop like and the mic on the laptop and a friend of mine uh, called Tim had like an, I was at his house, he had an acoustic guitar and he like went out to university. So anyway, I was just like in his kitchen and I think that there was something on the telly like Homes Under the Hammer or Bargain Hunt, that type <laughs> of thing. And, um, and, and yeah, I kind of just sat down and recorded it. So yeah, the whole like the sound of this track is the sound of of like a Apple, whatever that kind of microphone would be called. Right, the little built-in microphone, but it's got this kind of like really yeah, um, kind of like an ambient room mic or something. So yeah, yeah. So this is you playing acoustic guitar into the mic on the laptop, just strumming away, just on the kitchen table, John. Right, with something on TV, but what is it? Yeah. Can you can we hear the TV? Not on that one. So there's one, the main acoustic guitar track. There you go. Oh, there is something on the TV. What is it? I think it's quite interesting just how many songs get written while people are watching TV. <laughs> Because, because the you know most musicians pick up an instrument when they're watching TV, just kind of strum away, you know, yeah. just mucking about, just not really, just idly, and then suddenly it's like, oh, <laughs> I've written Wonderwall. <laughs> yes, exactly.
So when you, as you were recording this, yeah, what happened in the end? Did you just piece it together? Did you decide, right, I've got this, I'm going to play it all the way through now? No, I, I pieced it together. I think, I, I think that morning I decided that I was just going to do it and, like, I'll do a song and I'll finish it. And, and so it was just done in, in, like, a morning and literally, like, in, I guess, half an hour. Did I say 15 minutes before? Half yeah. an hour. It's gone up. <laughs> <laughs> um, and... Even that, even that's like a really distorted acoustic guitar. It's but all... I think it's interesting because when you hear the whole thing, it sounds like um, it sounds like an old recording because yeah. you've got all this air yeah. being yeah, yeah, recorded. Yeah, yeah. Um, it sounds like something from the 1930s or something like that, possibly, <laughs> potentially. Yeah. And it also sounds like the kind of thing that some people would just have as their defining sound, like Daniel Johnson or something see, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Just, that's the way I play guitar. That's the way I like to record it. It's in whatever yeah. room, my bedroom, the kitchen. Um, and that's just what I do. Yeah. You know? But you just did this as, that's just the one yeah. version. Because you, know, you don't, there aren't many songs in the metronomy repertoire that are as simple yeah. as this. And I, but then I, th- and I suppose that's actually something which we didn't talk about really but like the in terms of what i was listening to when i was making the record like there would have been things like daniel johnson i would have heard for like i did, I, I would have heard him for the first time when i was making the record um and and like yeah i like i knew a lot of people who were into kind of like the that more whatever it's mm. whatever they called it folk anti-folk kind of stuff um and and so i think you know, it it was like quite possibly a little thing, like a little voyage yeah. into that or whatever. That kind of response to, um, to that kind of thing. Well, yeah. And know. it works really well as the closing track on the mm. album because it is such a contrast to everything else. You know? Well, yeah. And like, and and I suppose like in a bit of a, it, it's like if you have this, if you've decided you're going to do like a concept record, then you need to have the end of the night. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I and I think all one of my a kind of enduring memory from like living in London in that period and going back to the house at the end of the night is like I guess like should we have a cup of tea you know yeah put on a some music have a cup something yeah. to unwind to well yes exactly yeah some kind you, of you created the perfect way to do that and we're, <laughs> yeah. we're going to listen to. Uh, night's outro in full in just a minute but um, we have some regular questions uh, that we ask people who is the person or who are the people who have had the most positive impact on your career oh that's interesting there's been a lot like lots of lots of people lots of different people I think um, but probably I would actually say like in, in recent years that it's my girlfriend who has? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Steve. Steve. Stephen Bass is here. Who's the, the no, but like manager. someone like Stephen Bass has had a very positive uh, impact, and like uh, Jane Third, who signed me with Because, had a very positive impact. And I mean, there's there's lots of people, but in ter- in, in a kind of holistic view, I would say my uh, girlfriend Marion, yeah. which yeah. is a lovely thing. It is. And how does her influence it, just in terms of encouraging you she as a She got me into person? heroin. <laughs> <laughs> no, she, uh, she's just, like, very a good, like, 
good opinions on songs. <laughs> right, oh, that's interesting. It. Yeah, so like you, a musical, you, like not not at all to do with anything other than just yeah, being yeah. quite a good person to listen to stuff. Yeah. yeah. When writing, do you consider how a song will translate live, or do you not worry about that? A bit of both, really. A bit of both. With Nights Out, I didn't think about it at all, and that proved incredibly troublesome (laughs) (laughs) when we started performing live. Um, So it's worth thinking about, but it, but not to the point where it would where it uh, changes what you're doing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm just thinking about the two different bass parts on just one. Well, exactly. Thinking, That's quite a good example. Yeah, <laughs> we've got one bass player, <laughs> yeah. and the other two people on the stage are meant to well, be doing yeah. other things. That's why we. I mean, we used to have yeah backing track, and that's what like most bands you see will be using backing track, which isn't cool. But you know, I, if you don't think about it, you end up having to use yeah backing track really. Yeah, so it's something that you are more aware of now but yeah um, yeah yeah it's interesting um some listener questions so corin from southampton how do you get your distinctive vocal sound is it purely in the performance or is there an, an element of production involved it, it would that depends as i explained earlier early early metronomy there is it's the absence of anything that makes it <laughs> that makes it so distinct i i used to, like a lot of the earlier stuff is, is, is a lot of it's double tracked, which, like I was saying, you know, you kind of, I, I would hide my voice by double tracking it or like quadruple tracking mm. it. Um, so that kind of can give it quite a an effect. Um, and it's something like, I think that since the beginning, I've taken the bits which are good, like the double tracking is something which can sometimes sound particularly metronomy. Um, or that kind of high pitched sound, which is, the way that I do that is is I transpose the part that I'm singing. I transpose the music, the entire track, down like three semitones and then record my voice in that key mm. and then put the music back to normal and then pitch shift my voice up three semitones, if you see what I mean. So it kind of, that's like a, an effect, yeah. which, make, which, is, which is maybe a bit metronomy. Yeah. Um, Was that, did you arrive at that through trial and error? That was like I used to listen to. I was listening to a lot to the Love Below by Outcast, and I was trying to work out how he, how Andre Three Thousand got his voice to sound how it did sometimes, and I came to the conclusion that he must do that. So I started copying him. Yeah, yeah. No, that's interesting though, because you, uh, you know, listening to something, trying to analyze it, work yeah. out, and come up with a solution that yeah, obviously yeah, fits yeah. you. Yeah. I think it's great. Um, Susie from Rotherham, um, is there a typical writing process, do you think, with metronomy? How much do the sounds you use affect your compositions? There is no typical process, and I think that that is a really helpful thing. Um, and, yeah, like the sounds often are the things which start uh, an idea for a song. You know, like I, quite often I'll... Yeah, like go to a car boot sale. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, it really it can it it, it can be such a, a a kind of inspirational thing just to play with something new and and quite often yeah it is like a sound which will start the long process that ends up with a song. Yeah, yeah. Um, will from Sheen. The album is now ten years old. What advice would you give yourself ten years ago? Um, ten years ago. I guess just like 
I don't know, nothing. <laughs> I think I think I I I think I was trying to off like offer myself advice at the time, really. And I and I think probably that I, I just I remember thinking to myself like it's like kind of keep you keep your head down <laughs> just keep your head down keep working and that is the only way you kind of can stand a chance of like maintaining this you know and and I had like a lot like a lot of fun and you know so I, I don't think I don't think there's anything I would offer yeah any other advice yeah well it's kind of worked out but for now yeah but i'm still keeping my head down (laughs) (laughs) joe it's been such a pleasure being able to talk to you and and go through your old files as it were uh very exciting uh congratulations on the 10th anniversary of night thank you thank you well i apologize that they're a bit it was a bit disorganized but there you go that's part of my thing yeah exactly (laughs) it's all part of the magic and we're gonna play out by listening to night's outro metronomy on tape notes Thank you very much for listening. We hope you've enjoyed the episode. If you have a moment, do tell your friends and leave us a review. It all really helps. Thanks to those of you who have already donated to Tape Notes. There's a team working behind the scenes. It relies on your support. If you'd like to donate, please head to our website. To ask a question on a future episode or find out who's coming up, head to our socials and on Instagram you can see pictures from the recording sessions for each episode of Tape Notes. And last but not least, a huge thank you to our partners, Focusrite. Until next time, goodbye.